0: Bangerang radio, bangarang radio, bangarang radio dot com I'm going
1: out, I gotta go. I'll bang a rang on the radio. So turn to Pop and Pizza with Jacques L'Amour. Hello, come on in, y'all. That's right, we're going punk Yeah, I'm just kidding, though. <laughs> I think that was the most obnoxious southern accent I've ever done. I don't even know if it was a southern accent. It was just a hick accent. But anyway, I hope you're having a great October so far. And, uh, you know, things have certainly been grand here on Pop Punkin' Pizza. Uh, just a few things... Before we get to today's episode, all right? Or maybe more than a few. I've got th- got three things here for you. So number one, I was recently invited to be a guest on a podcast called Starting a Record Label, hosted by a really nice guy named Joshua Smith. And the episode is up now. If you want to give it a listen, you can find a link in the Pop Punk and Pizza Fans Facebook group that I started. Or you can pretty much find the podcast wherever it is that you get podcasts. If you just search starting a record label, you're going to find it. And uh, Joshua is a big fan of Pop, Punk & Pizza, and I'm extremely grateful to have his support. So please give him a like, follow, share, and check out his podcast, Starting a Record Label. Now, two... The new recording space is getting closer to being done. I'm fortunate enough to have such supportive parents to uh, help me get this new space up and running. My, my mom's been helping me put up curtains and putting uh, down some, some nice carpeting to make it look all fancy, and it's uh, really made a big big difference in the sound so far. Now I just kind of got to get furniture and my equipment all set up in there. I actually shared a uh, progress picture on our social media sites if you want to take a little peek at it. Uh, Pop Punk Pizza Pod uh, is the handle for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you want to check it out. Now my goal is to have it uh, all finished by the end of the year, and then hopefully start producing episodes from that new space starting sometime in January or February whenever I'm able to do a face to face conversation with someone so mainly at at this point since there's no touring going on mainly Chicago land artists and what I'd really like to do is have some more songs and stories episodes with artists from the Chicagoland area that would come down to my little recording space in my basement, play a short acoustic set, and just share stories. We'll see, obviously, how that all plays out with COVID and everything like that. If COVID gets a lot worse, then, well, might not be able to do that, so we just got to play it all by ear. Um, But hopefully by January or February, I'll actually start putting out new episodes in that new recording space and then three with that being said i could use as much financial help as possible with rolling out this new recording space for the podcast so if you can buy something in our merch store today at bangerangradio.com forward slash merch there are two limited edition halloween designs up for sale right now until october 31st and after that, they will not be available. Uh, there's t shirts, long sleeve shirts, hoodies, etc. There's so much more there. And there's obviously other merch designs too available as well. It's all at poppunk or it's all at uh, bangerangradio.com forward slash merch. And make sure you use that promo code pop punk at checkout for $2 off your order. You know, I. Uh, I say this all the time, but I really can't stress it enough. I truly am grateful for your support. You know, whether you're a listener or a guest or a publicist or a manager, uh, family, friends, my girlfriend is a huge, huge supporter of this podcast, and that means the world to me. And that's obviously the kind of girlfriend you want, right? So I just want everyone to know that I am so grateful for you supporting this podcast, listening to it, sharing it with your friends, your family, whoever it is. I, I just truly, truly appreciate that. So thank you so much. Now on today's episode, our guest is Dennis Jagard or Jaggard. <laughs> I actually didn't ask him how it's pronounced because I've never heard Dennis's last name actually spoken. Uh, so I'm thinking it's Jagard or Jaggered, one of the two. He's the lead vocalist and guitarist of punk rock band Ten Foot Pole. Now, the main purpose of talking to Dennis was to promote the band's latest acoustic album, Simmer Down. Um, but we ended up getting off topic, topic of course, and talking about several other things, you know, uh, including Dennis's career as a, le- as a uh, live audio engineer, why the band changed their name from Scared Straight to Ten Foot Pole, And how he'd like to play more backyard shows. And who knows? Dennis just might play a special Pop, Punk, and Pizza podcast backyard show sometime down the road. Would you like to attend something like that? Would you be interested? Hit me up. Let's, uh, let me know about it, because the more people I know that are interested, the more likely it is to happen. I'm not sure when. Maybe not anytime soon, but, like, this coming summer? Who knows? But Anyway, let's get to Dennis.
0: Don't be, dick, don't be a 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 dick. Studied history and religion in the schools where I was punched, my funny hair deeply offended. So ten foot pole, I'm the singer and songwriter of it, and um, but I'm also a professional sound engineer um, doing concert touring. So I'm a real sound engineer, but mostly for um, for live events where people are right there and just making it sound good in that room. And, um, and even at high levels, like I, I used to work for Prince in 2006, 2007. Right. And, um,
1: I was going to ask you yeah. about that. So- Cause I had no one idea. One time he
0: told me, uh, you, do you make records? And I, and I said, no, like I was all proud of it. Like, no, I specialize in live sound. Like I'm your guy for concerts. Like I'm really, you know, focused on the live sound. And, and then he goes, well, you should. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> but now after doing it, I, I understand what he meant. Just the level of focus and intensity that is in a record where you can just keep rewinding and tweaking things and changing things. It's just different. It, it's a different level. Um, of, of focus that you don't get when you're just on a live gig, you just do it and it's over. Right.
1: It's on the fly. For better or
0: worse, it's done.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there's like, there's so many great things about that and there's so many bad things about that. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, I don't have to worry about that again. Like, you know, I got that out of the way, it's all done, you know? And, but, but then, um, but then it's, I don't know. Uh, I forgot where I was going with that, but you you only get
0: one chance. And if you get a bad review, it's like, yeah, like live, especially like festivals and things I've, I've heard it described as kind of the drag, the drag strip racing of audio, because, you know, in a, in a recording studio, if, if something sucks, you just do it again. And, and live, if it sucks, (laughs) it's over. It's, and if someone was filming it or whatever, especially these days with everybody in the audience with their phones or whatever, it's like, you know, you only get one chance, and and um, that's it. So yeah, yeah. So it's a different skill set, but there there are a lot of uh, overlapping things. And once the pandemic hit, a lot of my peers in the audio industry were like, "Okay, I'm going to study how to use this different mixing board than I hardly ever use." And I thought about doing that, but the reality is, if, if I learn some new mixing board, I'm not going to use it for a year. I'm going to forget everything that I learn. And I thought by making a record, I'm going to be immersed in audio, even it's, though it's not live audio, I'm still spending hours thinking about guitar tone or how this vocal sounds or what I could do. And um, I thought that that would be a better investment of my time than just like studying. There are definitely things that I should be studying for live sound like um, like IT things like internet connectivity of audio gear but the reality is if I don't use it within a year, everything I study will just be like,
1: okay. it'll be, yeah, it'll be gone. And, and we don't know when live music is, I mean, if, tours have been rescheduled, but yeah. It, yeah. everyone at this point is like, are those rescheduled dates actually going to happen? <laughs> like, and, and plus my,
0: my next scheduled gig is, uh, 11 months from now oh my gosh so <laughs> we better be I can't doing say live NBA music by it's like then. a real great tour and i hope it happens but i don't know like will there be a vaccine will there be Will you know because this this is a major artist where you know will thousands of people be able to get together and and so uh, along those lines i've um i've shifted my career like well simmer down's an acoustic record right and and i've really like changed my expectations about what could happen with the band to where i'm even just trying to do backyard gigs not right now but but when things do open up i'm trying to well i'll I'll back up a little bit i bought a tour van (laughs) there was a time i was doing really well i was like (laughs) i i had these jobs lined up i was doing great and i bought a sprinter i was like I'm gonna I'm gonna make 10 foot happen, but the only way I can do that is if I get a van that I could put beds in because I'm old and my back hurts and I can't sit for twelve hours in a in a van bench and, and make it sustainable. So I thought I'm gonna invest in a in a van. And like right after I bought the van and started spending money on building like because it was empty. And I like built seats and windows and everything. Right after I committed to it, I lost two major gigs, like a oh. year worth of work. I lost I lost a year worth of income. And um, (laughs) so anyway, the way that I can rationalize that um, investment (laughs) is I want to build a career into my old age of going and playing acoustic shows in people's houses or yards. Like maybe there's only 20 or 30 people there. So it could be done very like, you know, social distancing friendly and just low budget, like just me playing a guitar, but and telling stories like Henry Rollins mixed with playing acoustic songs and just trying to give people kind of a unique live experience that is a lot different than playing to my computer and and most importantly requires the van. So I could justify you can actually <laughs> use
1: it. Yeah. And well with with doing gigs like that it's, uh, like you said, it, it would be a, an easy thing to do. I mean, you definitely have a big enough audience to where you'd be able to get at least, like you said, 30 people or whatever to commit to, you know, going to their, their house and you can easily maintain a, a, the social distancing and the, you know, all yeah. that stuff.
0: That's my thought, like whether it could really happen, I don't know, but I, um, but I, um, it's, I think that it's doable if we get enough people to, the, the main problems that I have with touring are long drives and, you know, and, and not enough money to be able to cover the expenses. So if if I trim it way down to where I hardly have any expenses and and I make the shows frequent enough that it's not like, like, like say after you play Denver, in the US it's like often there's like a 15 hour drive to the next show. And, and if I've got a whole band and they're all drinking maybe except me, the show's over and it's like, okay, we're loaded out and it's 2.30 a.m. Who's like, who's gonna drive the next 10 hours and, and tell the other guys are sober enough to drive? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know so, so that part of touring isn't fun, but I thought if, if I could narrow it down, like, I mean, I don't know, but I, I hope Simmer Down is good enough and gets enough response that I could literally drive like two to three hours a day and do another gig. And, it, and we already tried this, so it did work in Quebec. Like, okay. like in Quebec, the band was big enough to do that. Now whether I can do, I, I was thinking about in April going across Canada um, because I was planning on rehearsing in Quebec with the band. And so I was thinking the way to get there is I drive the van with the gear in it and I stop every two to three hours and play a show. Now, can I find someone every three hours along the route? I don't know. You know, we're yeah. talking like Salmon Arm and, you know, <laughs> like just everywhere. Like, you know, Van- you know, Victoria and Vancouver and Kamloops and like, like all the different places. Can I get somebody who wants to have a, a party there? Yeah. So that, that's that's the, the dream. Like whether it can happen right. or not, I don't know.
1: You got to drum up all the people in those unknown places. Be like, Hey, help me out.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I mean, it's the same as booking a real tour, which is finding someone who believes in the band and cares enough about the band that they're willing to put down a guarantee that kind of covers it. So I don't lose money. Cause I can't, I can't just go out on the road and like wing it. It's got to oh, be, hell no. Cause I have yeah. kids and oh yeah, van yes. payments, and, um, <laughs> but, but you know, if it, if it's seven days a week, that payment doesn't have to be very high. Right. So that's the deal is like, even if one or two people join together and they just decided, hey, we're going to host a party, everyone else is just invited for free or, or maybe they sell tickets. Like, I don't care as long as, mm-hmm. as long as like my expenses are met, I'm cool with kind of whatever they're comfortable with in their house. And then we just play like a little show in the backyard or or whatever. And it's uh casual, but it's a lot, it's a lot different than, you know, virtual concerts to be really right there. And, and also when it's just me, like if someone asks a question, I can stop the whole show and get in, like we could have this interview going on. (laughs) Yes.
1: Right. You, you, uh, you actually can interact with that person instead of, you know, maybe they ask a question while you're playing a show online, but say you miss that question, you know, when it goes through the feed, because there's so many people in the room or so many people uh, commenting on your live performance that it gets missed, you know, and it might be like the greatest question
0: ever. Like, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So- and also I'm not smooth. Like with the live stuff, I mean, there's some guys like uh, Yotam and stuff that are, have been doing this for so long that they're like playing a song while they're reading the comments and then going, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not like that. If I, I'm, it, when I'm doing the computer thing, it's just so weird already. It's like, I'm singing to my computer, to my microphone, and uh, just trying not to mess up and like, the last thing i want to do is be reading comments like you know and and i don't know but in a room like we're, we're in a room i don't maybe it's also because it's less pressure of like knowing that it's not being recorded and it's not like if i missed hit a bad note or whatever it's not the end of the world it's just 30 people who are enjoying our time together and um and that's what i think kind of concerts are or should be there's there's and that i think people will miss is that personal element And being there in the same room with somebody and and enjoying that time together, really being there, I think has value and um, and hopefully it'll be able to to happen (laughs) because I still have to, I still have that van in it. And there's just like this thing in the back of my mind, like, how could I like make that investment like like one of my worst life decisions ever and i have to somehow like if i could just like turn that into a win like right now it's just this huge loss like there's a van parked by my house and it's just like every month is an 800 hundred dollar payment and it's like how do i just how do i turn that huge loss into like woo?
1: i think you could easily achieve this because i've seen some other artists Kind of doing the same thing, not necessarily going extremely far, but they're they've been doing kind of regional private acoustic mm-hmm. dates, and it seems to be working out for them. So, you know, I don't see why you couldn't pull
0: that off. You know, I think that's I hope gonna. So, yeah.
1: I think a I lot don't know of if people... easy is
0: the right word. <laughs> well, I don't know if easily, I think it. I think with a lot of work and really good planning, because especially trying to book the dates on, in you know, that's well. Really the
1: good. close together, that's going to be yeah. The, the distance wise, yeah, but that's just today.
0: A friend in Florida was like, "How much is going to cost to get you here?" And it's like, you know, like I'm trying to spread this idea of doing it, but until it's a route, like you know, like individual shows really can't happen. It's just not justifiable, but, you know, but maybe I'll have 10 shows in Florida, but how do I get to Florida? I, I'm in Boise, Idaho. Okay. So, I, <laughs> I, like I was... 2,000 miles you were, from Florida.
1: Yeah, I knew you were on the West Coast, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure exactly where in the,
0: the Western region, so... Um. Yeah, 10-Foot Pole started in LA. So, so um, I grew up in Simi Valley, and, and we were um, we were in in... Uh, I moved to Boise about 13 years ago my my wife's from here and since I tour a lot it just, just made sense to have cheap land and have all her family support and just have kind of a place I can tuck the family away and have like I have a a spot to park my van <laughs> <I> <laughs> right
1: couldn't afford
0: that in california i couldn't, oh, I couldn't even no. afford a place but i was gonna much, say you less probably, a
1: spot where a van fits yeah i was gonna say you couldn't afford a house probably it's just uh it's so expensive out there but um is idaho uh is that where the knitting factory is
0: yeah there is a knitting factory here it's uh it is still called the knitting factory i think they change um, the names unless of they change places, the name but, Okay. Yeah, I it was... burned down. It burned down not that long ago. Really? And, uh, oh my gosh. I, f- I don't remember if they rebuilt it or. I think they rebuilt it. I'm not sure what what's up with it. I was an employee for a while, but in Idaho, like the people here, like, they either never get sick or they just don't take time off. But like the sound engineers who worked there, because like there was one festival on a weekend or something, and so I covered for a guy and did like four shows and everything went great. They're like, "Okay, we'll see you again soon." Those are the two guys that worked there didn't miss a day in like three years. Oh <laughs> so,
1: man, wow! Either so either I heard that they work just... locally right maybe they just work through the the sick days or something
0: yeah well also you can imagine like like a venue like that only has a few gigs kind of a week or a month and so the, the guys don't want to miss it and and um you know if, you, it, if for a lot of us that tour a lot and then we make the decision to try to stay home and get off the road it's uh it's tricky because because touring pays well it, when you reach a certain level it pays well for the time you're there and and when you're there, you're there 24 hours a day for, you know, for weeks at a time, but um, it doesn't pay well when you're starting out and it can be iffy, but uh, getting home, it, it's tricky because you're used to, you know, there's a lot of benefits to being with a big artist and on the road. And there's like um, benefits like uh, respect and stuff. Whereas when you're home and you're working at a venue, there's kind of a different gig every day and it can be fun, but it also can be uh, rough and not pay well and, whatnot so <laughs> yeah
1: because it depends tough, on who you're right yeah. it depends on who you're working with um, not every uh, touring band that's coming through that venue is as nice as the the next or maybe their staff isn't mm-hmm. very friendly you know years I mean, so different... are total dicks <laughs> right That you know and so they'll come in and let's say you know the room so well because well it's a venue you work at regularly right so you try to tell them hey uh, this kind of happens in this room. So just beware, but they just go ahead and they just, they completely ignore everything you just told them about, about the room and how it, you know, how it sounds and what, you know, sounds the best. And they just, they totally wreck it. And, you know, you could have made the band sound so much better.
0: (laughs) So yeah, that, that is part of the frustration of being in a venue is that, um, basically all the bigger name bands well, most of the bigger name bands have their own sound engineer. So you don't get to actually do the thing you love doing. Like the reason we're sound engineers is because we like mixing bands, Right. but the reality is that when you work at a venue, all the better acts for the most part have a budget to have their own sound engineer. So you're basically just babysitting the the sound equipment and helping that person kind of do their gig. And um, so it's a lot more, exciting, fun, and, and satisfying being a touring sound engineer where I know the act really well and I can dial things in really well. And, and people are always impressed. Like they hear it, it's like, oh, wow, this sounds as good as the record or maybe better than the record sometimes because I can control the volume and the impact. And, um, you know, to take that and then go to working at like a, a club or even like a theater or something where you're spending hours and hours waiting for other people to do stuff without the reward of getting to, to mix the show is, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's a different thing. But, uh, so the reason I got excited about when I said about being a dick was, uh, I don't know if you know, I we we have a song called Don't Be a Dick.
1: Yes. uh... I was actually just listening to the, (laughs) the acoustic version, uh, before, before the interview. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I forgot they had this song. And then of course I thought about Bowling for Soup. They also have, you know, Don't Be a Dick as well. Um, Oh, do they? I didn't even know Yeah. And I was like, it's like wow, these songs are so similar. Like I completely forgot that they both existed together because it had been a while since I uh, listened to you know Ten Foot Pole and and so um, so yeah, it was kind of funny taking a listen to it. You'll you'll have to uh, you have to type in or, or Google "Don't Be a Dick" by. Bowling for Soup, and you'll be like, yeah. "Whoa,
0: yeah." We <laughs> toured with them a long time ago. I hope that I, I wasn't like uh, subconsciously, like in the Brady Bunch, was that there a Brady Bunch episode where like what uh, Greg's writing a song in one room, and Jan or Marsha or somebody like hears the song in their sleep, and then the next day they're like, "I wrote this song," and they start singing it. Yeah, it's, dude, I've done my song <laughs> right.
1: I've yeah. I've I can't tell you how many times I've subconsciously wrote a song that it ended up being the exact, like, same melody as a song that I've listened to a billion times. And, like, it it, it would take someone else sometimes to point it out to me. I remember one time uh, I was writing a song, and my older brother had come into the room, and uh, he was listening to me write this song, and he's like, you know that's Ghost of You and Me by Less Than Jake, right? And I'm like, it is? (laughs) And he's like, yeah. He's like, see? And I'm like, oh, no. I was like, so there, you know, there went that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, but but um... at least he
0: saved you before you put it on a record. Now I've put Don't Be a Dick on two (laughs) records. But uh, anyway, I hope it doesn't sound like theirs. But uh, when when the idea struck me, I just thought, like, I have to use this idea. And I got so excited about it. just instantly I wanted to share it. Like I knew that it was a good idea in my head because uh, instantly I wanted to like call up my friends and be like, you know, Hey Steve, you know, I just, I was writing this song and I was totally, I was thinking about you and I I just, I just had to share it. It's called don't be (laughs) a (laughs) dick. And I, it just was too funny to not use. So uh, yeah. So hopefully it sounds okay. But uh, no, it it, sounds
1: great. I I just, I, I sing it
0: to myself. Like mm-hmm. somebody cuts me off on the road or something. It's like, I'm yeah. tempted to do something that, that I'll likely regret. And I'm just kind of in the back of my mind thinking, you know, don't be a dick. And uh, like, yeah, like, like just even every day, every day, like something happens and I'm like tempted, like my mouth's about to open. And and sometimes in the back of my mind, this little thing goes, don't be a dick, Danny. And um, and it is, <laughs> honestly, it has saved me from doing things that I will regret that will escalate into.
1: I was going to say, yeah, like really telling that person <laughs> or whatever, what's really on your mind. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Instead of and, keeping it yeah. to, to yourself. I, I value honesty. And, right. and so part of me is like, I can't not say these things because it's mm-hmm. like it's my truth. But the reality is that there's many situations where my honesty will not lead to a good result for all.
1: I was just gonna say, sometimes even though obviously honesty is the best policy, but there are several situ- situations where it just won't improve the situation. Yeah. Even if you find the best way possible to dish out that honesty, you're just like, you know what? It's not worth it. Just gonna Some move on.
0: Silence is the best policy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, yes. Just know when to keep your mouth shut. And it's it's hard. It's hard for you know and i mean i'm obviously like part of me is an extrovert and i'm you know writing these songs and sharing like i like sharing my thoughts like everyone needs to know what i'm thinking about but um there's a, some occasions
1: <laughs> oh sure yeah it's just gotta it's just gotta come out i hear you man
0: there's um, a lot of other utility to that song too though like 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 a heckler for example if, um, if I'm at an acoustic gig and somebody starts heckling, especially if I've already sang the song, Don't Be a Dick, uh-huh. I don't even have to say anything to that person. I'll, I'll just say something like, oh, wow, that was really mean. Come on, don't be a dick. And the whole audience will start going, dick, it- dick, dick, <laughs> dick, 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 dick. And pretty much it makes it so that I don't have to be the security force at the, at the venue. It's like, because it's hecklers... Yeah, hecklers want to get a rise out of you, right? But they want to impress the rest of the audience. And if the other audience is going dick, 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 they're they're pr- pretty much going to just kind of wither away. And yeah. so, uh, so that song has been useful in so many situations.
1: <laughs> Spe- speaking of of dicks and um, situations like that, one of the I think it was the last show before uh, the COVID pandemic that I went to was to go see Mest. Um, I'm sure you're, are you familiar with Mest? You ever heard of Mest?
0: I, I have, but it's been years and years. Like, I, I think I almost got a gig doing sound for them, but I, I don't remember anything about them, honestly. Um,
1: so at the show, there was this, uh, girl that actually was like right in front of me and she kept on, uh, heckling Tony Lovato, the lead vocalist, and kept telling him to show his dick like the whole time. It was really, it was bad. Like it, it got to the point where, you know, he was like calling her out on stage and, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, if all so else she, fails, you make them part of the show. You know, I, it, yeah. go it, Either way. <laughs> it got to that point, but I'm just, I think she, obviously she was, she was totally trashed, you know? So, I mean that there's that, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that, uh, situation when it called for, don't be a dick <laughs> you know
0: literally yeah. in that situation yeah because because as a performer like, you know it's a, it's a very fine line like you don't want to you know you don't want to get beat up like I'm, I'm sure you've seen the youtube video of the guy who tackles the guy playing an acoustic guitar oh sure <laughs> you yeah you don't want to get beat up like that guy but you also don't want to look like a bully and pull a yeah, uh, kramer from seinfeld you know <laughs> you have like your whole career like <laughs> say something that's like racist or sexist or something and just everybody hates you and your whole career takes a crap have you um, ever have yeah. you
1: have you yourself or any band members actually like stopped a set to get into a physical altercation with anyone at a show
0: does that ever happen I think, well, we've stopped, but not necessarily to get in a physical altercation. We, mm-hmm. We've we stopped a song because of like a fight or something in the audience. Like, um, you know, like say, to, you know, uh, like the most typical thing is either a regular fight or like a woman does a stage dive and we can see she's getting grabbed a little bit too much. And sure. it's just kind of like, hey guys, that, you know, we need to protect our audience, you know? And uh. It's it's not that common, though, especially these days. I think um, people tend to be a little more kind of in tune. I, I don't know whether it's also that I think 10-foot pole also has developed uh, a reputation for being a nice band, essentially, like. Our, I don't know whether it's our lyrics or the vibe we have, or me being a little, I read a review once that said that I'm corny and that that's really irritating. And, you know, and, and part of me is what? like, you know, how, it's how true. Is I'm a dad. Well, but... I'm a dad. I mean, that's the thing is that like, we're, we're allowed to be corny once in a while. And I, and there's part of me that, you know, I, I think it's funny. And I have a song like want to be alone or something like that. And, and I embrace the, the, I embrace trying to be funny once in a while, even if it's goofy. And, um, and I think that that like kind of, you know, supportive attitude to, toward the audience has resulted in for the most part. It's not like when we were like scared straight in the eighties, like, we played shows or even 10 foot pole. We played shows with Pennywise and like a lot of the crowd, just like, like a really like macho uh, testosterone crowd. Right. Aggressive. And, um, yeah. Aggressive and kind of tough guy vibe. Right. And, even if maybe the same people come to a 10 foot pole show, but they come with a way different expectation of, you know, how we're going to treat each other. At least that's my, my expectation. Hmm. And um, so I haven't seen that like, like from my experience, I mean, it's not like we have huge crowds anyway, but for most of our shows are fairly small and fairly intimate and people are, you know, for the most part, really friendly and excited to be there and having a great time. So thankfully, you know, I I mean, as much as I wouldn't mind having a couple more thousand people there, I'd rather have a happy crowd than a, than a tough or angry crowd.
1: Oh, of course. Um, speaking of, you know, bringing up, uh, Scared Straight though, that was something I wanted to, uh, ask you or, or talk about was, you know, Scared Straight was, was more of like a hardcore band and that's, you know, obviously that's where... 10-foot pole came from you changed your name from scared straight to 10-foot pole so why why change the name and, and why change the style at that time because i don't think i ever really heard that story i don't know if it's a
0: yeah uh, it, uh, well when we say hardcore uh, the 80s hardcore that we were involved with was kind of its own style that was evolving over those years and it it's not what i would think of As hardcore these days at all pretty much it's or it's a lot more melodic than than I would imagine hardcore and even hardcore in those days kind of in the 90s developed into like really like really aggressive and you know um much more screaming than than we were in the 80s so um I felt like the skate punk that evolved in the nineties was kind of directly down the path of where we were like scared straight started out in Simi Valley. And we were, um, and we were invited to be on a Nardcore record, which was, um, Oxnard hardcore, um, on mystic records, they did a compilation of, of Oxnard bands, but really it was kind of Ventura County. And, and because we were friends and had toured and done backyard parties with bands like Ill repute. And, um, we played uh, the bands that were considered part of that scene were like Aggression and Doctor No and Stolic Thirteen, and and they were all pretty melodic. Uh, false Confessions, like they were all singing. It wasn't it wasn't uh, screaming. And so, the the nineties punk that followed that, I think, was it basically was just a little more melodic, a little more musical, faster, more technical drums for the most part. But it—I don't think it was a radical departure. Like for for us, between Scared Straight and Ten Foot Pole was literally just a name change. It wasn't—it um, wasn't any kind of a conscious music change at all. Like the Swill album that we did was just—it it was just kind of on the cusp of where that music evolution was going. Um, I think it was pretty gradual, in my opinion. The reason we changed the name was that um, Scared Straight in the in the eighties had been on mystic records and mystic had, had, um, was kind of famous for doing kind of shady stuff. Um, they, we made a record, our our only full album, I didn't think was ever done. I went and recorded it for a couple of days and I thought they were just scratch guitar tracks. And I thought Scott had done scratch vocal tracks. And, um, and then I didn't hear anything. And all of a sudden I was in a, a music store in Berkeley, uh, and I saw Scared Straight, You Drink, You Drive, You Die. And I was like, oh, that's kind of terrible. These people stole our band name. And then I looked at it and I was like, Scott Radinsky, the pitcher of the Chicago White Sox, da, 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 da. Anyway. What the hell? So, so th- missed- <laughs> they just went
1: ahead and, and just took what you recorded and just put it on a record. Uh,
0: essentially.
1: Without uh, you even knowing.
0: Without me knowing. Now, it's okay. possible that Scott was involved in the whole thing. I don't know. Okay. Scott's kind of like a non-confrontational kind of guy. So it's very possible that he knew about it and or okayed it, but didn't want to have like a direct uh, debate with me about it since the time that I learned it, it was too late to do anything about. Like, obviously the album had been named in, in my opinion was a fairly like Nancy Reagan album anti-drug kind of thing you drink you drive you die it's like we're gonna kill you you know yeah that's that sounds
1: Um, very aggressive uh you know straight edge kind of thing which was you know as as much as there was the the drugs and the drinking straight edge was a big
0: thing in the 80s in the punk scene so yeah and and i kind of i was a straight edge kid but i wasn't like um i wouldn't call i wouldn't consider myself an orthodox straight edge kid i Mm -hmm. basically was i was brought up mormon and also I was a wrestler in high school. So my upbringing, you know, first was because of religion. Nobody, like I wasn't, I didn't drink Coke, like as a kid, like I was, you know, so I didn't, I had my first coffee and beer and cigarette on the same day when I was, I think 21, like literally, you know, but, and, and that was just because I was tired of like thinking of my, I, I was like, I wanted to bust my cherry and yeah. and not have to live my life. like. Like, oh, what you know, what's a cigarette going to do to me? I'm going to like, you know, and I, I just wanted to live without feeling like it was some sort of like um, slippery slope. Like the minute I had a cup of wine at my kid's wedding, I would just end up on skid row. But um, anyway, so so as a kid, I was like, you know, at first it was because of the religion. And then it was uh it was actually my athleticism. Like I was really into wrestling and I was kind of like, well, if I just don't eat sugar and I don't, you know, I don't want anything that's going to slow down my brain. Cause I was also really um, feeling like an intellectual at the time. So I was like an, an intellectual wrestler, which is pretty that, rare.
1: That, those two usually don't go together. <laughs> usually think of the stereotypical, like meathead kind of, you yeah. kind of person, not to say that wrestlers aren't smart or anything like that. Cause I remember some of the wrestlers that I knew in high school were,
0: were very smart. So, you know, well that, I, I mean, I, I want, I really like, I believed in having the straight edge. Like n- mm-hmm. not that, uh, not that I was like judgmental about other people so much. It's just that at least at that time when I was 13 or 14, the kids who were getting drunk were dicks. I mean, they, they Your, were yeah. going to parties and getting drunk and cutting each other up. And, you know, they just weren't nice people. And, um, and so I wasn't tempted to, to join in. So, you know, the, the combination of the religion and then being around people who were, uh, who were dicks when they were drinking and then being into like wrestling, like I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to win. And that includes like keeping my brain clear, keeping, you know, like, well, I was cutting weight too. Like an alcohol is not good for, for weight cutting. Like I was cutting good 20 pounds. You can't, you know, you don't want to be drinking beer. No. Um, (laughs) Anyway. So long story short, I believed in a, in a, in a fairly clean cut ethic, but I was extremely against like a uh, government, Nancy Reagan, like, don't, you know, just say no campaign. It, you know, I was coming from a left-wing version of like, like freedom for people and um, trying to not be judgmental. And so the idea that our band was even associated with that whole, and, and mystic records basically took anything they could to try to market it. So they had pictures of like um, a, a, a hand with a baseball with a spiked, wrist bracelet <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, so weird
1: totally so- cheesy
0: and, totally. and on, of course on the cover it had to mention you know Chicago White Sox baseball pitcher was our singer so um you know basically and, and I don't blame him you know you want to do anything you can in marketing but uh it just was cheesy you know so yeah. so scared straight was one we had a product I wasn't happy about because I didn't think it was done I didn't think we had done the album that we could do it was like they just slapped it together. Two, it had a weird name that made us sound politically lame. And three, they were really pumping baseball, which was not very punk or very cool. And it, like, there's a that way you could have done so, it. That sounds
1: so <laughs> bizarre. When you think of punk rock, you do not think of baseball. Like, it's just, you, I mean, it's so weird. I can't, yeah, believe, yeah. can't believe that. And I, um, I didn't realize that um, Scott was on the white Sox Cause I'm, I'm from South of Chicago. So, oh nice. um, so I'm, I'm relative to the area. How long did he end up playing for the Sox?
0: I couldn't tell you his, could... uh, you know, career statistics, but I mean, he, <laughs> right. he played on different teams and I, I, I think he's still coaching. I'm not sure, you know, what he's up to exactly, but you know, he, he, he had a great career and, and, um, and you know, he's a great pitcher, a, a hard, hard throwing left-handed pitcher. And, uh, um, but I'll, I'll, to, to mention Chicago, uh, the, so, so the record swill, we did as scared straight. And then, um, actually fat Mike was kind of the last straw for us as he's at, like, you guys ought to change your name. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people think you're a straight edge band and, and I know you're not, you know, cause, cause everyone in the band did not, uh, go along with my clean cut idea of how we should live life. And, uh, he's like, you should just change your name. And, uh, we were headed to Europe and we thought, okay, let's change our name because we don't want to go to Europe and promote some band our first time in Europe to be promoting a band that we're changing the name of. So we, um, we crossed out scared straight on the swill record and put 10 foot pole on the first 3000 units or something on cassettes and CDs. Like you can, you find them with stickers over it or, or like literally crossed out. And, um, and, and so we were trying to be on fat Mike's label and, and Mike said, um, And Mike was like, you know, I'd like to have you guys, but you only have enough good songs on this to make an EP. And, um, so I'm not going to put this record out, but if you want, we could take the best, whatever, six songs and make it an EP. And at the time we were really offended. It's like, you know, we, we just made this whole album and it's, you know, our life's work or whatever. Like we were all excited about it. And, um, In hindsight, I think he was kind of right. Like I'm not really a big fan of it now in hindsight, but at the moment (laughs) we were kind of like, we made a whole record. We're not going to like withhold half of it. And um, so we didn't sign with that. And then a few months later, or I don't know how the exact timeline, um, Brett from Epitaph called up and and said, Hey, I want to, are you still available? You want to put this out on Epitaph? And we said, we're, we're stoked to be on Epitaph, but by then we agreed with that mic. And, and, And instead of putting out Swill, we said can we make a new record and so that ended up being rev and um which i'm glad we did because rev in my opinion is is you know a thousand times better than Swill, and um and so rev a lot of it most of the lyrics i wrote and a lot of it um were at least a few songs i went to chicago and hung out with scott and helped write lyrics like we kind of collaborated um because he was gonna you know he was the singer and I wanted him to believe in the songs and really like own the songs. And so sometimes we talked about things that were, that he thought might make a good song idea. And then I kind of helped him flesh that out into lyrics that would make a good song. And um, for example, old man, for sure. I wrote old man. Um, Cause I remember having a, a notepad at the baseball games and like kind of huh. thinking about ideas and stuff. Wow, One that's time so cool. Scott stole my grandpa's shoelaces and it kind of reminded me of him. Like we, we, we had a show in San Francisco and for some reason, me and Scott, like my dad drove us up there or something. And me and Scott stayed at my grandparents' house. And then, and afterwards my, my grandma was like, did you take grandpa's shoelaces? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and so just so funny. Cause I could totally see Scott with like uh, those Vans high tops that it, all the skaters wore, uh-huh. And just, and, and for sure, like, he had to borrow some shoelaces or, you know, maybe it was part of his drumming thing or whatever, but, uh, absolutely. (laughs) That's, we have a millionaire pitcher and the honor in our band. And, but he stole my grandpa's shoelaces.
1: (laughs) Right. So how was that transition for you, um, to becoming, you know, the lead vocalist?
0: It was, it was tricky and slow. Um, at first we just decided we wanted to tour, um, we toured with no effects and had a great time in 1994 and the rev album was taking off. And, um, and the offspring uh, um, had a smash hit, like smash was literally like selling 7 million records and it was just huge. And the offspring wanted us to tour with them in Europe and we wanted so bad to go, but we couldn't because of um, baseball essentially. And e- even though I think there was a strike on, but Scott had to stand by in case the strike ended, he had to be able to go right away and so, you know, that kind of got the seed planted in our minds of like, um, well that, and when, when we played the Europe tour, Scott actually left early, like the, that swill tour I mentioned at the end of it, it started kind of breaking apart and, and Scott said, screw it and flew home. And we were all there in Czechoslovakia and people were asking us to play without him. And we were kind of thinking like, could we play without him? And, you know, how, how we do it. And, and, um, so anyway, those were the seeds that were planted. And, um, and eventually we kind of decided like, well, what, um, you know, how are we going to be a band, you know, like, um, uh, baseball is out like a month and a half or two months a year. And so, so we kind of long story short, um, we decided we wanted to find a new singer so that we could be a full-time band. And, um, and then I decided since I was a songwriter that I wanted to audition. I wanted to earn the spot, if you will. And so I kind of dragged my feet <laughs> to, to uh, as far as making a choice of a new singer. Like there were a couple guys that were like kind of threw their hats. Uh, th- what do you call it? Throw their name in the hats. Right. And um, I kind of dragged my feet a little bit and, and was practicing and practicing and be like, you know, cause I wanted to be considered. And um, it just made sense because uh, because I was the primary lyricist it just made sense for me to do it, but I didn't know whether I had the stamina or the, the, like to be able to scream and, and be a punk singer. And, um, and after weeks and weeks of of working at it, I felt a lot more comfortable because it, it's a muscle basically like your vocal things. um, It's, it's very athletic and it takes conditioning to get to that point of being able to, to, um, to rock and, and keep rocking and not lose your voice. And uh, so, for better or worse we, we we made the switch, and there's a lot more details involved, but oh, the, sure. at the end of the day, you know at the end of the day we we lost a good chunk of our audience just because, like any band that changes a singer, you know there there was a camp that's just like you know, and the rev album was so loved and and um you know, so people really you know knew us for that record and and you know maybe half our audience was excited and and then from then on, we built new audience from people who liked the new records. And um, so I kind of, and, and still, I still felt like you know there were some people that left that um, maybe didn't know that I was the songwriter too, and that that you know that they might have thought that with him leaving kind of lost the that element of it. So I I try to emphasize that too that you know like if you like the song Old Man, that is my song, and and that all the songs that Ten Foot Pole does for the most part, almost all of them are are my songs. And it's, it's only natural for me to sing it, but still every once in a while, someone says some kind of review that hurts my feelings. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> oh, like one guy on escalating quickly, like this is like 25 years later or whatever said something like, well, oh, this is like a karaoke singer singing 10 foot pole. <laughs> and I <was> just like, <laughs> And I was like, one, that was Damn. 25 years ago. And two wow. karaoke singer, like it's my song. Like I wrote it. Yeah. Like it's it's right. only natural that I sing it. It's sing, more like yeah. Edna Swap singing uh the Natalie Imbruglia song, uh, you know what's it uh Torn? Oh, yes, yes. Um, that huge hit, the song Torn and a lot of people didn't know that it was that it was an Edna Swap song. Right, it was and, an old, right. And, um, so regardless, I I um I just keep going and and some people like it and some people don't and I just feel like if I just keep writing new stuff and try to make it interesting that, that there will be a, uh, you know, people who like it will gravitate toward it. And at this point, it's really more just about getting people to, to listen, like, especially like simmer down. Like, I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a quality product, but how do you get people to listen to your music? There's literally millions of bands out there. So,
1: well, luckily, you know, luckily you kind of have that advantage of, of having those, those roots, you know, way back when and the, you know, the skate punk scene. And I think that'll only that'll only help you out, even though this is an acoustic record. And I think this record is really well done. I was really impressed with the the production and everything. It's It's got a nice, um, not overly polished sound to it. It still has some of the, you know, that rawness in it, but it's uh, also, it's just all around pleasing to the ears, at least I found anyway. It kind of kinda satisfies if if you're wanting to listen to something punk, but you're also wanting to listen to something a little easier on the ears, you know? It mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice hybrid
0: of uh, of both of those things. Oh, I'm so, glad you like it. I Yeah. I, I think like my acoustic show is a lot more raw is a lot Mm -hmm. and and was a lot more like kind of fast. But then I found, once I started doing demos and stuff, I found that when I really played it aggressively, the way I do live, I mean, it's fun to have that live energy, but for the sonics of it, like an acoustic guitar generally just doesn't sound good. If you bash it, like if you're really (laughs) on it, there's a lot of string noise and, and um, you know, things get out of pitch and, it, it's just not pleasing to the ear. And so even though, even though uh, a live show would be more punk for people who really want to hear more punk, um, I, I thought that the record I would try to make more beautiful, like just slow things down more and play it more softly and try like different, like especially at first when I started doing acoustic shows, I just kind of played the same thing I did on electric guitar, but on acoustic. But on this record, I try to call it, what do I call it? Reimagining. I try to reimagine yes. <laughs> the old songs. And the idea being that the goal is to make it beautiful and make the songs the best I can make them. And it's still going to have that kind of whatever whatever's wrong with me that writes punk records. <laughs> it still has that, but it's in a more palatable format that I think... You know, the goal is that if you're on a long drive and you want to put it on, your ears aren't fatigued after three or four songs the way they would be with with you know a more aggressive record. Yes,
1: yeah, I I think um, I think that's absolutely right. So when it came to you know recording, uh, reimagining these songs, what was what what song did you have the most fun recording? You know, re-recording or a, a a song that you found to be actually kind of difficult to, you know, reimagine.
0: Um,
1: And I know there's some new well, songs too. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. The, the, the new songs are what I'm mostly excited about. <laughs> Basically, the old songs are, are just there to try to lure people in to listen to the new songs. Of course. Because we know, you know, I mean, the old fans are like, I, I mean, that's just kind of the way music is. Like, especially if you're growing up, you hear you heard a song from your youth that was important to you. And, you know, it's really hard to get those people to be bothered to listen to something new, but, but that old song that means something to them is worth going to check out. So, so we try to pepper the album with these old songs. And so one of the old songs, the getaway um, I'll, I'll use that as an example. Like I had a, I, I was just bored with it, but I really wanted it to be on the record and so we did The Getaway. The Getaway was like the best song on Insider for sure. And then it, um, and we made a really funny and a fun video. And then we redid it on Setlist because on Setlist, I tried to make kind of a best of collection so that new people would have a reference. Because people at shows, like like kids at shows were like, hey, I love your band. Like what what record should I get? And, it, and it'd be like, well, if you like the song John, you should get Unleashed. If you like the song Old Man, you should get Rev, But Uh, but it's a different singer. And, you know, and like, instead of having (laughs) that It gets confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of having that discussion, we made set lists so that when someone asked that, I could just say, here, set list. And then if they like the band, they can always go back and listen to the old stuff and, and like, like go deep. But set list was, was meant to be just kind of like a, here's best of. So, so we had already done Getaway on the set list and on Insider. And I really wanted it on there because it's a good song, but it just, it didn't do anything for me, acoustically playing it like the record. And um, and then suddenly I was just goofing around and playing something totally different. And and I um, started singing the getaway over and over again at the end of the chorus and then changing the chords under it. And it just, um, for me as a singing it, it just made it fun again. It was just a whole different song and it made it like exciting. Like, oh, I wanna play that song because I love that part where I change the chords under it and then um and then that led to so it so it's really a different arrangement like like we extended the chorus and and have different notes and um and you know obviously it's slower and it's more beautiful with guitar arpeggios. and then really like the icing on the cake was um we invited a cellist to play instead of a bass and then um he was so good he recorded all these different tracks and we turned it into an orchestra of cellos <laughs> And so that's a song I'm the proudest of. That's the old song is The Getaway, which started out as something that was like, I really want to include this, but it's it's not special enough to be on the record to all of a sudden, it's like my favorite old track on the record. And and that was kind of that process of what I called reimagining is like to take something and, and just try different things until all of a sudden it opens up a whole new world. It's like, wow, this song is instead of something that I'm not looking forward to, it's, it's the one I want to put on there and and um that that's it's exciting when that happens in music because a lot of times it's just a fluke it's just random even just any kind of songwriting all of a sudden you just have this idea floats in your head from a muse or whatever you want to call it but just a random creative thought and um it can turn it around all of a sudden that becomes your favorite part and and that's how the getaway was for me so that i'd use that example the, the getaway like started off as yeah whatever and now it's like I I wish I had a a video of like people who really like 10 foot pole. Like I I, I would guess half of them are going to have a tear going down their eye by the end of the getaway. You know, when that cello ends up, I'd love to see a video of that. Yeah, just, I w- in case anyone's out there, please do a reaction video right just for me. <laughs> just crying, uh, uh, well, ten foot pole who, has gone, your re- ten, ten, is gone. Po- like I wish this was '90s skate punk still. <laughs>
1: yeah, ten <laughs> well, foot pole has gone emo, <laughs> <laughs> completely, just raw emo. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, you know, like yeah, I was, I was surprised by that song just overall because you're expecting this, you know punk record but it's acoustic but you just made it in a beautiful way to where it still has some of that punk sound but it's it's also just pleasant overall to to listen to and and that's what I was pleasantly surprised by you know it wasn't like a a disappointment or anything like that and I think fans will feel the same way about this this reimagining and they'll probably end up falling in love with that new version
0: I hope or... so. We, we have had some people, not necessarily people who heard a song and didn't like it, but just, just random, you know, stating their opinions. And one, one opinion was uh, something like, you know, don't touch the bangers <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and that's a good situation for me to hear. Don't be a dick before I react with my instant <laughs> sarcastic thing. What I wanted to say is um, basically, luckily we didn't have to record over the old versions to make the new ones. Yeah, right. So the old uh, versions, the bangers are still there. Right, um, which is good. But yeah. there's just this other version of The Getaway, which is is no longer a 90s skate punk anthem. Mm-hmm. It's like a wistful cello orchestra tugging at the heartstrings.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> melancholy.
0: That... Our version of kind of, I always felt like The Getaway was like our uh, My Way, like the Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. i did it my way regrets i've had a few
1: (laughs) (laughs) that'll be uh if you ever do a cover album you'll have to you have to cover that one and be like this is equivalent to the getaway
0: yeah i mean it just has that kind of vibe no i
1: i i completely agree with that and i can i I made some
0: mistakes (laughs) i totally uh, are chasing me down the highway
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can totally i can totally feel that uh now that, uh, now that, now that you bring it up. So, um, yeah, I think, I think fans are, are going to be pleasantly surprised with, with Simmer Down and thoroughly enjoy it. And I think it'll also reel in, you know, new fans, um, or people that were just, I, you know, I heard the name 10-foot pole, like, 10 or 15 or however many years ago, I'm going to check this out. Cause I always heard they were a good band and, you know, so, and they'll listen to that and be like, Whoa, this is, this is really cool. You know, especially since, yeah. I mean, your, your audience is obviously matured, you know, so it's nice to hear, you know, it's nice to hear a different side of, of 10 foot pole.
0: Yeah. And that there are some people who prefer the acoustic. I, right. I don't know, like not necessarily this recording, but just the idea of the acoustic. Cause I have done the touring in, in Quebec, especially, and especially in our older crowd, there's some people that, that do like, that feel like the songs are more um, impactful with, with uh, that, that treatment of it. So for me, it's just about changing things up. I get bored if it's, if it's all the same and, and, um, and conversely, like, after spending a year doing acoustic stuff, I'm excited now about electric stuff and we're working on the next record and really excited about like coming out with something that's just punch you in the gut. So all the people that thought escalating quickly was too poppy or simmer down was too weak or whatever, like the people, like, we just want something to, to say, like, we're, we're still here. And we haven't, mm-hmm. even though we're old, <laughs> we haven't, uh, you know, we've, we haven't forgot how to play fast or scream hard or whatever. And um, so I'm excited about the new songs you're writing too.
1: I like that you bring it down and then you just go, wham, you know, you come yeah. back, <laughs> you'll come back out and you just punch them hard,
0: you know? Yeah. And, and that's I think cool. for, for me, that's kind of the life thing is like to make something sustainable, you have to change it. And that, oh, that's sure. kind of the goal with like, I want to be able to tour acoustically so that I can turn around and do a rock tour. And, you know, people still want to see both versions and, and it kind of doubles the amount of shows we can play like you know maybe we could play backyard shows acoustically and then come back with doing a tour that's raging drums and guitars and playing at festivals and just rocking so
1: so is there actually anything in the works for this possible acoustic touring or is it still at this point just kind of like an idea that you're
0: tossing around i i haven't started booking because i'm not sure I, I'm still not sure because the COVID situation. Um, mm-hmm. Well, well, it is in the works that we have several festivals in Europe booked for summer of 2021. There's there's a few that have announced. I have to be careful because you, you're not supposed to announce things until sure. they do. But, yeah,
1: you don't but have like, to say yeah, which one. There's a few but...
0: festivals that are announced already. And so, well, well, my line of thinking was, okay, so we're committed to essentially late July in Europe. We're committed and then i'm thinking well for us to play in july the band has to rehearse and my drummers in quebec city and my guitar players in wisconsin but he has a girlfriend in quebec city so we ought to rehearse in quebec yeah. well let's see so how should i get to quebec should i just fly there no i bought mm. that van yeah. i'm making payments on that van i don't yeah, want to buy a ticket i don't want to buy an air ticket so I want to, so, and my bassist is in Portland. So maybe I'd drive to Portland, pick him up and then go across Canada. Canada for us generally is better than the U.S. Yeah. So guessing, I, which which yeah. is
1: funny because I always assumed that 10 foot pole was from Canada. And I think that's why. Um,
0: It'd be cool to have socialized medicine. <laughs> that would be kind of yeah. nice. Yeah, like, you know, as a dad of two kids and, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah thinking I, I th- about healthcare.
1: I think maybe that's why I always assume, cuz you you have have done well in Canada and that must have been why I I made that association even yeah. though you started in California.
0: Yeah. So but we um so I I don't know, but that but so the thinking was okay, well we should rehearse in Quebec City, so I should drive across Canada and try to play little acoustic gigs along the way to pay for the cost of getting there and then as long as we're rehearsing in Quebec, we might as well play shows. So now I'm bugging the people at Pooza and whatnot in Canada, in Canada saying, well, if Tampa rehearsed, after we've rehearsed a bit, we should play some shows. And then I'm thinking, well, once we're done with that, I should go to Europe early and play some acoustic shows there so that I'm acclimated to the time change or quarantine (laughs) or whatever I need to do. So basically I'm trying to find excuses to book as many shows as possible. So how I'd like it to happen is we like play every two hours on the path from here to Quebec, then do a bunch of rock shows there. And while I'm rehearsing there, even do acoustic shows on the side dates. Then I go to Europe and play a bunch of acoustic shows and then the band joins me and then we play. And then as of right now, I'm booked for, end of august starting a audio career okay who knows you know who knows if that will happen but so that's the way i have it planned but when Mm -hmm. you say are you really planning it i i don't know you know like if there's not a vaccine or something like who who knows what really is going to happen so i'm just going to take it day by day and hope for the best and prepare for the worst and Mm -hmm. keep writing new songs because at the end of the day like what if we write some amazing song that just opens everything up
1: right yeah i mean that's you can still work on new music. You can still release new music if you want to. In the meantime, you know, there's always, there's always that. So yeah, we're, we're
0: trying to have an album done by next. Yeah. If I, if I leave like March or April, that's kind of the deadline for when the recording would have to be done. Okay. Um, right. And, and it should be possible because we've got at least like 10 good songs already. So wow. if we write another 10 or 20 songs, then probably a dozen will be good enough to be on the record. Mm hmm. It's hard to um, say until the demos are all made. and
1: Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't like this one anymore. <laughs>
0: and then, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's but... hard because it's like your babies. Like you, you know, like you play it a bunch of times. You think it's great. And then, but then once you record it and hear it back, sometimes it's like, you know, a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, that'll, that'll be exciting. It'll give us, uh, give everyone here something to look forward to. And, uh, you know 2021 so in the meantime (laughs) simmer down we'll just have to simmer everyone down and keep them tied over you know
0: so i hope so i think that that'll be like a long running just something that when people are on a drive and they feel like they they can listen to stuff for a while i try to keep everything short and sweet and and interesting enough varied enough to where it's not painful to listen to just changing vibes a lot going from fast to slow and the um different styles of music, different genres. So hopefully people will, will embrace it at least enough people to be able to do some backyard parties.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, we got to, uh, wrap this up, but Denny, I just want to say thank you so much for, uh, spending time with me today. Oh, thanks so much sp- for the invite. Time. Yeah. Um,
0: I is really... it okay if I, uh, pump the 10 foot That's yeah, uh, I was
1: going to say so, yeah. so people can get, you know obviously the um everything at is it 10footpole.com
0: yeah t-e-n not the numeral 10 but the word T E N. right 10 right foot pole. and um i i mean we're you know i do the facebook and instagram and a bunch of the other stuff but it, everything is reachable at 10footpole.com and and the, the first page is news so like it, it just links to the new videos or album or there's skateboard decks for sale there's a patreon kind of a fan club thing where you know for a dollar a month or more you can support the band and also get some sweet benefits and um i'm doing other stuff too like um to try to pay for that van that i mentioned (laughs) i'm trying to sell all the old crap i've uh kept over the years so like you know like you know uh There's a bunch of t-shirts and things that I've kept in the garage or like, you know, vinyl versions or CD releases from Japan only and like stuff that I always thought, oh, when I'm older, it'll be cool to have this. And I'm now thinking, you know, it'd be cool to have a tour van and not have it get <laughs> repossessed instead of so, having all of this stuff just lying around. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm planning on making like uh one of the pages of the website being a, kind of a museum, but also things for sale, like even guitars, like guitars and amps and wow shirts and vinyl and whatever. And, uh, and even after things sell, I'll probably keep the, the images up there just cause I think some people find it interesting to see old stuff. Yeah, so definitely. Kind of a, like a a museum mm. slash fundraiser. To kind of <laughs> there you go. Keep ten so, foot pole rolling. Get but some it's all your... at 10footpole.com Is the okay? The
1: goal. Yeah, get some unique swag. You know, some unique ten uh, foot pole history. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and I think that's how the music business has gone. Like the the music is out there, kind of easy to get now for anybody, and and quick downloads and everything. But the but the things that people really get interested in are the collectibles, and mm-hmm. so that's why you see like vinyl, we've got so many different colors and things because some people want to be the only one who has all these colors. And um, you know, there's, there's like a a UK distributor that has a special vinyl variant and one in uh, Belgium that does. And um, so I think that sort of thing, like there's, there's basically fewer people buying music these days, but the people who are buying are like really interested in getting something unique. So I'm hoping they'll want to buy my old shirts and guitars.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm almost positive. Someone will. Um, yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't the, the diehard fans for sure. Um, are there's also, there are physical copies of simmer down available as well, right?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. If you go to 10 foot it's, it's all there. Like there's skateboard decks as well as right. simmer down but right now we're calling them pre-orders, but, um, I think as of today, it's like just four days away. So the full release should be out. So it should be available. It was kind of, you know, it's painful, like the amount of time it takes for vinyl to be manufactured. Right. So I think I think I approved the mastering of Simmerdown July 5th. And then October 9th was basically the the date we decided was the safe date. So that if people pre-ordered it, we would have vinyl by October 9th for sure. And um, so hopefully that's still happening but it's been so it's been so long waiting for this to happen. I'm so excited about it because I think there's going to be a lot of people who are um who love it.
1: Yeah. No, I I completely agree. I think people are going to love simmer down. So, definitely uh definitely need to push that and and get that
0: out there to for everyone to enjoy. Well, thanks. So, thanks again for having me and yeah. and hope to see if there's anything uh you ever think I can be helpful with, uh please reach out and and uh, hope to see you out on the road or if you feel like uh having um, me singing in your backyard.
1: <laughs> hey, I was going <laughs> to say doing, that like be, hosting a party. That would actually be a cool, uh, like a cool podcast, uh, affiliated party. Be like, Hey, Denny from 10 foot yeah. pole is going to be at my house. You know? Yeah. I mean, so. that's,
0: that's the, the, that's the benefit of being a, a fairly unknown artist, if you will. It's like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to make this work, but, but the benefit is that for people who like the band. We get to have like intimate experiences together, and and yes, it's it's not like you're asking, you know, somebody who's got a stadium show, hey, come over and come to my podcast. It's like, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll drive right there, like we'll do it, we'll hang out, and and um, yeah, that's that's the cool thing about being unknown, <laughs> right?
1: That would be cool. I mean, I live an hour south of Chicago, so that's where I'm at. So, if, nice if, if your route works that way, maybe we can work something out. You know, that would be uh, that would be cool, but you know, you can hit me up anytime if, if you need something as well. So
0: sure. And in the, in the long run on, on ongoing things, I I assume that I'll eventually have a job as a sound engineer again. And then we always hit places like Chicago. And so sometimes there can be days off where, I mean, that's, that's why the acoustic thing started for me in the first place was it became fun to sing and play guitar. And I didn't really enjoy being with an electric on the road. So -hmm. when I'm out on tour with other artists, especially if there's a day off, you know, it's, it's easy to meet and do those kind of shows. And, and that's true. Yeah. I try to sing every day, no matter what. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's great if five people are watching instead of zero. Right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think about that. That's uh that's perfect on
1: those, those days off on those bigger tours where you're working as a, as an audio engineer. Yeah. So, and that's
0: how this start This, that's how this started. Like my, okay. my first shows, I think with a real audience were in South America, I was on tour with Jimmy Eat world and, um, and those went so well that then I ended up doing more and, and it just kind of grew from there. But That's at so first cool. when I played acoustic guitar, I didn't know if anyone would care or, or yeah. be interested. Yeah. And um, and then I got enough kind of positive feedback that, that it became something that was really exciting. And especially mm-hmm. having the audience sing along, you know, and just having a bunch of like, and, and of course, South America kind of, I would spoil like, like people who didn't even know the band, like having a couple of hundred people go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go like so many people who didn't even know the song just instantly embracing it and singing along and having a great time. Um, it, it makes it worthwhile and it makes it, um, exciting to do even at that level of just being, being a small crowd. Yeah. um, That's so cool. Yeah. That must've, I hope to see you there. I, yeah. um, if you ever I, hear of me swinging through there, like I, I basically try to just put out things like, "Hey, I'm going sure. and doing this stuff," and the reality is, I'm too lazy to to look up every person. I I just kind of put out feelers. So if you just kind of mm-hmm. keep keep aware of it and see what happens, and all of a sudden I'll have the thing like, "Hey, I'm trying to fill a, a day off on a Monday in Chicago," and um, but I think you have to compete with is it 360 Brewery? There, oh, like 350? 350? 350,
1: 350, 350. They're uh they're in I Orlando. Yeah. I uh, did. Did you? Did you guys play? At, uh, I, 350? Did. Or you I did. I did okay. a little.
0: I think so. I want to say it was me. There was a little um, acoustic hit there, just me playing by myself while I was on tour with somebody else. I I okay. swam through on a day off.
1: That's awesome.
0: And, um, yeah, I mean, and that, those are the kind of things that that just kind of, if it can happen, that's great.
1: Yeah, three fifty uh, brewing is a, a really great. Um, brewery that just like supports punk rock and the whole community they always have different special shows or they have like a festival every year uh where it's always like punk and ska bands you know whether they're from chicago or not it's usually a great time so obviously it didn't happen this last year but uh but yeah, yeah so hopefully they can they can start doing those again. But yeah, seriously, let me know. Keep me in mind and I'll, I'll keep my eyes peeled too and to, to see what you're up to. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, no problem.
0: And that, a- that's the other cool thing about small shows is it's not like, it's not like the big rock band where we can only play once. I mean, the reality is I could probably play four or five different places in the Chicago area and it wouldn't, it would still work out. Like if someone decides to have a party and they're not comfortable with selling tickets, they're just going to invite friends and family like, it's not going to matter. It could be like your neighbor from, (laughs) from half mile away. Like if you you didn't go to that one, it doesn't mean you wouldn't want to have a party. Right. You you might have a whole different group of friends. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of like uh, possibilities there. No. I got nowhere to go but up. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, man. (laughs) At this level. (laughs) Well, you've
1: you've got my full support. So, (laughs) well, thank you so much. uh, Yeah. Keep, keep me in mind for sure, man.
0: Okay. Well, thanks again. Have a nice day.
1: Thank you, Denny. You too. It was was really uh, fun talking with you. Cheers. Hope to see you again soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Okay. Take
0: care. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be
1: a dick. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Dennis of Ten Foot Pole for talking with me today. I know uh, we already touched on this, but just another reminder that 10-Foot Pole's acoustic record, Simmer Down, is now available everywhere. You can snag a physical copy and other merch items at 10footpole.com. And remember to uh, spell 10 out. It's actually the word, not the number. There's a link to their uh, Patreon that Dennis was talking about as well on their website and obviously other links too and hopefully sometime in the future dennis will be in the chicagoland area and we can set up some kind of special like pop punk and pizza podcast event with him where he plays an acoustic set and you can come out and we can hang out together and eat pizza and all that fun stuff so we'll see if that happens but fingers crossed now if that's something you're really interested in and would love to happen please please let me know on our social media pages Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Pop Punk Pizza Pod, or you can chime in on our new Facebook group, which is Pop Punk and Pizza Podcast Fans, and uh, let me know if that's something you'd be down for. because the more people I hear from that are interested in having uh, Dennis from 10 Foot Pole. Do a special acoustic show for us somewhere in the Chicagoland area, the more likely it'll happen. I really think it would be a ton of fun. So that's it for Pop, Punk, and Pizza today. I'm Jacques L'Amour. It's been a pleasure as always to have you here with me. Keeping my fingers crossed that that new recording space is going to be set up by the beginning of 2021, and I can start putting out some acoustic performance-based episodes for you, some more um, songs and stories episodes, as I like to call them. But I can't do it without your help, so if you can... Snag some limited edition Pop and Pizza Halloween merch at bangerangradio.com forward slash merch. Every purchase gets us closer to having that new recording space set up and done. Halloween designs are only available until October 31st So if those don't tickle your fancy though, there are other merch items as well, other merch designs. So it's all at bangerangradio.com forward slash merch and make sure you use that promo code POPPUNK to get $2 off your order. I appreciate all your help and support. Now, if all goes planned, the next episode is gonna drop this Thursday, October 15th with Jason Lancaster. Now, Jason is best known for being one of the original members of Mayday Parade he was the co-lead singer-guitarist for their first two releases. Then after that, he started up Go Radio. And uh, not to mention, he's got uh, his solo career, too. And the reason he's coming on to the podcast is he's about to drop his second solo release. He's dropped a couple singles to promote it already, but uh, the release has not come out yet. It'll be coming out here, I believe it's next month in November. If it's not November, it's December. I forget the release date at the moment, but it's not yet. There are a couple new singles you can check out on Spotify, though, if you just type in Jason Lancaster. So uh, make sure you subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss that episode with Jason Lancaster. I hope you're staying safe and healthy. I will talk with you in a few days. Love you. I mean it. Hey, hello. It's nice to Yeah.